Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, welcome to The Spill, your daily pop culture fix. I'm Laura Brodnick. And I am back. I'm Key Reese, feeling slightly better, enough so to do the show. <laughs> so good to hear that. If you start kind of, your migraine comes back and you start tilting and I see you fall over, I'll just carry on without you. No, I'm joking. I no, would never. Call, call <laughs> triple zero. Yeah, once we're finishing the show, I will definitely call triple zero. <laughs> That's right, right? <laughs> On the show today, Kanye West and Kim Kardashian, they've been making headlines because of all their personal stories and messy divorce. This week, they both had big promotional events and releases that have also been making headlines, but things have gotten even muddier behind the scenes. We're going to go through all that. But first, the entertainment news headlines of the day. I have news. What's the hot gas? I want more headlines. Well, kicking it off with some scandalous news today, the 2015 Mad Max reboot, which was Fury Road, was a box office and critical success. It grossed close to 375 million US dollars globally, and it won six of the 10 Oscars it was up for nomination for. But this week, an excerpt of Kyle Buchanan's Blood, Sweat and Chrome, The Wild and True Story of Mad Max, Fury Road, was released on Vanity Fair, revealing how fraught things were between the two lead stars, so Charlize Theron and Tom Hardy, and the cast and crew, including the leads, which is why this is so juicy, were opening up about the animosity, which was evident all the way back in pre-production, and what led to an explosive day on set that left Charlize fearing for her safety. So obviously we want to talk about that day. We don't care about anything else. So on that day, the stars were asked to be on set at 8 o'clock. Charlize was on time. She sat in this war rig in full hair and makeup, wardrobe, ready to shoot. She sat in that war rig for three hours. So at 11 o'clock, Tom Hardy strolls in as if nothing's happened. She literally jumps out of the war rig, starts yelling at him saying, and this was a quote from one of the people on set, find the fucking can't say that word because it's really naughty, $100,000 for every minute he's held up this crew. How disrespectful you are. He then charged up to her and went, what did you say to me? And they noted that he was quite aggressive. She felt really threatened and that was basically the turning point because then she requested that a producer, a female producer, be flown to Namibia where they were shooting to have someone there as her protection. Charlize says it got to a place where it was kind of out of hand and there was a sense that maybe sending a woman producer down could maybe equalize some of that because I didn't feel safe. Tom Hardy then said, in hindsight, I was in over my head in many ways. The pressure on both of us was overwhelming at times. What she needed was a better, perhaps more experienced partner in me. That's something that can't be faked. I'd like to think now that I'm older and uglier, which... (laughs) 
I tend to disagree. He is one delicious man. <laughs> I could rise to that occasion. Eventually, though, so this is a big happy story in the end, which is what we love. They were able to foster a mutual respect for one another, which was really similar, if you've seen the movie, to the story arc of their characters. So it was a lot of pressure, different approaches to acting. He was a bit of a method actor, which we know, that old chestnut for men that can get away with behaving badly on set. And Charlie's obviously ever the professional. So we'll link the Vanity Fair excerpt in the show notes. And the book by Kyle Buchanan is out now, so you can purchase. Just give it a quick Google. Also making news today and causing a little bit of controversy, it was announced that Emmy Rossum and Tom Holland are starring in a new Apple series together. And this news has been met with quite a few raised eyebrows, and that's because Emmy is playing Tom's mum in the new series, even though she's only 10 years older than him. So she's 35 and he's 25. So the show has been described by Apple as a seasonal anthology that will explore inspirational stories of those who have struggled and learned to successfully live with mental illness. So the first season is being designed as kind of a thriller and it's actually inspired by the award-winning biography The Minds of Billy Milligan by Daniel Keyes. So my first thought when this news came out, Key, is like, of course, because this is just that same old trick that Hollywood pulls all the time. But then I started thinking, was it a case of similar to the 2011 movie In Time, where there was like quite a lot of outrage when it was announced that in that movie, Olivia Wilde was playing Justin Timberlake's mother, even though he's older than her. But of course, that was explained away by the sci-fi storyline that, you know, she had to remain youthful, even though she was an older woman. So that kind of made sense. And my thinking with this Apple series, is that they haven't come out and said anything at the time of recording and maybe later today Tom Holland or Amy Rossum will confirm. But my thinking is potentially that she's playing his mother in a series of flashback episodes if he's talking about his life growing up. So yes. maybe that would be why. Kind of like This Is Us with Mandy Moore. Yeah, exactly with Mandy Moore because when she was cast as a mother of like Sterling K. Brown, everyone was like, I'm sorry, what is How older than is her? But work? obviously, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the magic of TV is not always quite linear in that way. But I do understand why people are upset because as much as maybe this particular case isn't a case of a 35-year-old playing the mother of a 25-year-old, Hollywood's pulled this trick so many times before without a sci-fi explanation. I understand why people were thinking this way. Wait, I need some examples because I know this has kind of been like a long-running theme that like once you hit a certain age in Hollywood, you're either a mum or like don't work basically yeah you're either an angry career woman and like a spinster my favorite yes, one. i love telling spinster. people i'm a spinster <laughs> i'm gonna reclaim spinster anyway or you're a mum. when you hit 30 you just have to play a mum. and so interesting when i was doing a bit of research for this topic i was reading an interview with alison eastern who's a casting director who's done lots of huge movies and she was saying the reason that all women kind of get cast in the mum role as soon as they hit 30 is that there's just more mother parts than father parts like you know a man can lead a movie and have a big storyline that's not reliant on him being a father because he could be seen as likable without being a parent but a woman if she's over 30 she has to have a child in some way in the films that people can relate to her which is so many layers of problematic I can't get into that right now yeah but some big examples that came to mind when we were like putting the show together this morning is Angelina Jolie playing Colin Farrell's mother in the 2004 movie Alexander and she's yes. only one year older than him. So obviously the movie starts with her being younger and having the baby, yeah, wearing the world's best eyeliner, a story for another day. But then like they don't really age her that much to play his mother when he's an adult and it's like she's one year older. It's really creepy. It's really creepy because it's not possible. 
fool. You're not fooling us. Yeah, and I guess they did try and age her up. But even the idea that if you're in your 30s and you have to be aged up to look like you're older so you can play the mother, what that is saying is that Hollywood would rather cast a woman in her 30s and age her up than casting a woman in her 50s. You're right. And, like, unless you're Meryl Streep. Yes. And probably the most infamous example of this is Sally Field playing Tom Hanks's mum in Forrest Gump. So most people kind of know her in that role and obviously she's younger in the beginning and they aged her up. But she's only 10 years older than Tom Hanks, very similar to Emmy and Tom Holland and also just a few years prior to that she had played his love interest in a movie. That is so creepy although I can't imagine anyone else playing his mum. No I know and obviously that was such a a juicy role and she got so many accolades I can understand why she'd do it but it was just that kind of flip of saying okay they're both now a certain age so they're equals they can play lovers in the movie and then flip it over to just a few years later where she's playing his mother and looking very matronly and they brought in a super young actor in Robin Wright to play opposite him. Yes. So I understand why people have reacted this way to Tom Holland and Emmy Rossum in this series. And I'm sure like sometime this week a clarification will come out, but it just makes you think that Hollywood is still not treating women over 30 in the right way. So as everyone knows, because we've talked about it incessantly on The Spill, but also it's just been covered across the world, you can't get away from it, Kanye West and Kim Kardashian have been having a very difficult time behind the scenes with Kanye's mental health issues and with their divorce and their custody battles around their kids ongoing, and a lot of that has unfortunately spilled over into the public domain. And this week, those issues got highlighted again because both Kanye West and Kim Kardashian, obviously they're both in the entertainment business, they both have big projects that they have to do promotion for and you can't walk away from that when you're having difficulties in your personal life. So this week they both had big branding exercises for their new projects happen at the same time and unfortunately things got a little dicey around both of them. So kicking off with the first one, Kanye West put on a very talked about performance yesterday for his upcoming album Donda 2, which at this point in time you're only going to be able to listen to it if you buy a special device that's a couple of hundred dollars so he's not actually putting it on streaming. We'll have to talk about that another time because it's a bit wild. And with this performance, like everything else Kanye does, there's a lot to talk about. So kicking it off with one of the most important talking points, and very interestingly, we had a call from a spiller to our pod phone to point out the biggest takeaway from the performance. Hi, this is Pam from Melbourne, and this is for the Spill podcast. I was watching the Donda live stream and my favourite artist, Alicia Keys, was playing and killed it on the piano. And what do I see? You get again, Marilyn Manson. So can you guys please break down what was going on? And I'm so conflicted because I love Alicia and I'm thinking, why was she there? Yeah, I have to say, Kim, I mean, there was so much happening with this performance. Like before it started, I got a notification that Kanye was going live on Instagram and someone was following him through the back of the stadium while he was getting ready to perform and crazy things were happening. And then there was a whole thing of him having the recreation of his childhood home again set on fire. There were lots of big celebrity names there. There was a heap of women dressed like Julia Fox, which is just a wild kind of tribute to how <laughs> popular she is now. So there's so much happening. But what Pam said is correct is that Alicia Keys was very much front and center in the performance, along with other artists like DeBaby. And once again, Marilyn Manson was there. As we've talked about, Marilyn Manson has been accused by multiple women of pretty 
just horrific sexual and psychological abuse. We talked about the documentary that came out about him that really outlined what he'd done behind the scenes, what he'd done to actresses on film sets. Especially the documentary highlighted what he had done to Evan Rachel Wood, like her allegations of what had happened when they filmed a music video together. Like the evidence has been mounting over time for many years and obviously he has denied it on every occasion. But like there's a lot you can excuse from Kanye in terms of like his performance and the artists he worked with because, you know, he is, I hate to say it because I know he loves it, but he is a musical genius and he is so good at making a spectacle. But having Marilyn Manson on stage just had such a horrific connotation that you can't look away from, especially because the album is in tribute to his mother Donda. So you've got this strong woman of colour who everyone is celebrating through music and the person on stage celebrating her is, for all accounts, a man who's been accused multiple times of sexual abuse. It's not excusable in any way. And also I wanted to remind you about the fact that DaBaby at Lollapalooza, how he got up on stage and said some really homophobic stuff. Yes. Like He's also been really controversial. And I know that Kanye's MO with this stuff is to uh, – he wants himself to be controversial too, so kind of invites these people to be artists on his albums, I think to drum up interest, but also just because I think he sees – I don't know. I can't explain it. But Alicia Keys, yeah, I mean, it is odd because she's such a clean kind of cookie cutter artist and has been for so long. I know that she has been a longtime collaborator with him, but it's just so difficult because at the same time, this is all going on. The And I know a couple of spillers are watching it because I did see it when I had a little sneaky peek in the Facebook group talking about it yesterday. There's this Netflix documentary that's just come out. I think episodes one and two are live and it's called Genius. So there's one more to come out. And it's just a bunch of kind of behind the scenes camcorder footage from his very early days. And it features his mum heavily and you can kind of see the love they have. And I'm just thinking... This is some really good PR because as you're watching it, everyone's going like, wow, I didn't realize like he's always been the same Kanye. He's always been a bit ranty, but it was kind of acceptable when he didn't have a lot of fame because it was seen as like, you know, he's fighting for the right to be let in and he was only seen as a producer instead of being seen as an artist. So it was really difficult to him to actually break into rapping. But then on the other hand, he goes and does something like this and it's like, I know you're doing it for attention, but it's not the right kind of attention. There's so much other stuff. Can't we find Julia Fox 2.0? Yeah, exactly. I was very on board with that particular publicity scheme. I think in this case, though, like I'm kind of looking at Kanye West and Alicia Keys in two different lenses because Kanye, I'm like, you have to hold him accountable for this. This is yeah. his vision. These are the people that he's bringing in. Alicia Keys, I'm a bit more conflicted about because I feel like sometimes we always just fall back on the woman to do the right thing instead of looking at these men and saying like, hey, you shouldn't even yeah. be on stage so true. and you know potentially she just looked at and thought like this is you know my music and my expression and I'm a long-time collaborator of Kanye West this is his show and I'm not aware of him doing anything like that so I can see the thought process there but on the flip side of that I'm like you're a super powerful woman in the entertainment industry with such an impressive legacy maybe when you get to that stage of the game, you have a responsibility to be the one who puts your hands up and says, I'm not doing this. So There's also the fact that I guess like in the same way that I've tried to present both sides before, it's like they have been longtime collaborators, probably longtime friends. Swizz Beats, her husband, he's like a genius music producer who's worked with Kanye for years as well. 
perhaps they're just trying to support him because they are friends with him. And it's like you can have friends that do really shitty things that are going through a rough moment and want to be there to kind of show up and support them. So it's probably really tricky for them too. I mean, like Jay-Z and Beyonce couldn't do it. They turned their backs on Kanye when he went through one of his very first ever meltdowns and they couldn't handle taking that publicity. So perhaps Swizz and Swizz and Alicia are just trying to show up for their friend. I don't know. It's difficult. Yeah, exactly. And the other side of that is that Kim Kardashian and Pete Davidson were very front and centre in the concert because Kanye was like, he played a section of Kim Kardashian's Saturday Night Live opening number and he also was like rapping about Pete Davidson. Like one of his lyrics was, God save me from that crash just so I can beat Pete Davidson's ass and all that sort of stuff. And then at the same time as this is happening, it's come just a few days after the very first trailer for the new Kardashian show has come out and kind of put the spotlight back on the dynamics of that family. Can you believe this is day one? Literally, this is insane. I love us. This makes me so happy. She's never had a reaction like that for me and it's happened like a few times. I'm so here for how funny Kim is now. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that might be my favourite thing Kim Kardashian's ever said because she makes a fair point. She just started becoming so much more likeable when she started taking the piss out of herself because that's what we love to see. I know we've been joking about this for ages about like basically that the show is just keeping up with the Kardashians 2.0, but it kind of (laughs) is. Like they aren't doing anything different. So everyone's there, Chris Court, Kim, Chloe, Kendall and Kylie. And let's start shall we, with the aesthetics and the structure of the show, just looking at it, exactly the same filming style. I was thinking, didn't you want to like maybe add like a Made in Chelsea filter just to make it a little (laughs) bit different, you know, like that kind of like golden-y filter that makes everyone look gorgeous. Confessionals are back, so I'm not really seeing how it's different. And then let's get to the content really quickly. How good was it to see them back on screen? Okay, it was great. It was so embarrassing. They're like, I can't believe it's the first day. And I was like, no, it's not. This is the same show. You just change networks for money. But we're moving past that because, like, the end of the Kardashians, not to beat around the bush, was a bit shit. Like, they stopped wanting to show their lives and started doing really contrived things like – pretending they thought Courtney was in love with Addison Ray, and Addison Ray is just like, what is happening? Or having like a whole episode about an obstacle course. I'm like, no one cares about this. So I feel like they've gone back now to actually showing their crazy, dramatic, glamorous lives. And I was like, yes, that's what I'm here for. And so much more than we saw before. So obviously Kim's in there. She's prepping for SNL. Chloe's just like cheersing and looking really hot. Like I can't not say it because she does look good. And Then we see someone that we weren't really expecting to see. I mean, we were and we weren't, but it was still shocking to me when we saw Court heavily featured, considering she pretty much quit the show towards the end. Like, we see her and now fiancé Travis Barker, their engagement, them just, like, hanging out in the drumming studio. I don't know if there's a special studio for drums, but we can just go with that. So that was super surprising. Also really surprising, no Scott, which... Isn't that surprising? But also he was very key to the first show. No mention of Ye or Tristan either, which I was kind of like, that has to be coming. Like, can I get the next trailer when you guys are talking about that and crying? And then Kylie, 
there's like a glimpse of Kylie HQ. So I'm like, that was the original show you pitched us, Hulu, when you announced that they were going to be doing a show. And that's all that we really saw of that because this is meant to be a show about them being boss women with their multi-billion dollar companies, et cetera, et cetera, when really it's like, hey, we're vlogging again. I know. I'm so glad they're not doing that, though. That's just boring as shit. And you're right. It, it's interesting that Courtney and Carly were the two that were like, we're not making this show anymore. We're not going to film. But they're the two that have had so much happen in their lives. I mean, they all have, but have had, you know, especially the Courtney and Travis stuff. So I think they've had to tap into that to make sure this show is successful for Hulu. And it will be interesting how they deal with the Kanye West situation, because obviously so much of this is filmed when he and Kim were still more amicable behind the scenes. Like he helped her prep for Saturday Night Live and okayed all the jokes and Obviously, we know things went off the rails after that between them. So it'll be interesting to see how it all unfolds. But yeah, just a lot with both of their, with Kanye and with Kim's new projects happening this week. And unfortunately, what's happening in their personal life continues to overshadow. But I mean, I guess that's what happens when you've got two megastars going through something like this behind the scenes. Well, thank you so much for listening to The Spill today. And if there's a pop culture story you think we should be talking about, like our friend Pam here on The Spill, please let us know. You can call the pod phone on 02-8999-9386 or send a voice memo to thespill at mamamia.com.au today. This episode of The Spill was produced by myself, Laura Brodnick, and Gia Moylan with audio production by Riyadh Mooney. We'll see you at mamamia.com.au. Bye. Bye. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.